because relationships dynamics are really set at the beginning of the relationship in the first couple of months. And if you're acting like someone you're not, it's going to make for a relationship that won't work in the future when you like reveal this true self of yours. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure, as always, to have you here. This podcast is constantly evolving, and one of the core foundations of it, though, so to speak, is the topic of 360 wellness, which you guys have heard me talk about endless times, unless you're new here, and in that case, welcome. So part of my idea of 360 health and wellness is the you know, mind, body, and spirit. And so because of that, it involves different things such as finances and personal growth. And in this case, drumroll please, relationships. So that means relationships with ourselves. And there are multiple episodes on body image and self-exploration. That means for relationships with others. We've had my friends Mallory and Brian on to discuss communication with disordered eating and relationships, so that's one you can check out. And now we have another episode on relationships with Christy Taylor. She is on to discuss all things relationships, specifically dating, i.e. the romantic relationships in life. Christy is a published writer in the dating and relationship field, providing lots of resources and support through her multiple mediums and channels, But in today's episode, we keep things rather brief and tangible, a bit more manageable, by focusing on three ways to better your romantic relationship. Now keep in mind, these could be applied in a friendship or family relationship as well. These topics include overcoming expectations in relationships, and how media has given us this false portrayal of what relationships actually look like, what to prioritize in relationships while still in the beginning stages. And this is important because as Kirsty explains, if you don't prioritize these things in the beginning, they'll eventually pop up again and probably cause an issue. And third, how to have clear communication in relationships. This is my favorite part of the entire episode. We have tangible advice here about when you're communicating with, you know, your partner, whichever type of relationship it is, turning that mindset from me to we. You know, it's like you're a team. You have to be able to compromise, right, if it calls for it. And then also, one of the most powerful parts is these I feel statements. And this is used when you're communicating, maybe in an argument, a disagreement, and it's a step, a tip that Kirsty shares so that you're not unintentionally placing blame on someone, but instead you're stating how you feel. Just listen, you'll hear it and you'll be like shocked. I'm going to actually use this with friends and family as well. (laughs) And all that being said, as you guys know, if you listened to my previous episode on being ghosted, I've never been in a legitimate relationship before. Sad? I know. But also, not sad. You do not need a relationship to have a fulfilled life. 
But if you do, when you do, this episode should help with some of those core basics. So let us know if you listen, what you liked, what you didn't like, what resonated, any and all of it. We would love to connect. You can share this in real life with friends and family, or if you do share on Instagram, connect with us, tag us. Kirsty is on there at Words with Kirsty, linked below. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels or at Let's Thrive Podcast. And remember, if you appreciate the show and all the hard work and hustle I put into it, if you left a rate and review, it would make my heart so happy and I would just appreciate it lots. However, I'm just happy you're here. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. So my name is Kirsty Taylor, and I am a dating and relationship writer. I write mainly, well, I write majoritively on Medium, and then I've written for Cosmo, Elephant Journal, and had some other pieces syndicated in other publications like Mamma Mia. Um, I'm also currently writing a book um, with Thought Catalog, so I'm writing a dating book, and not totally sure when that'll come out, but yeah, that's what I do. Amazing. I love it. Uh, and then jumping into relationships as that's, you know, your base of writing and something you're very into. So I was curious about, you know, a question as you're writing and analyzing other pieces and just in this entire world of writing and storytelling and then also relationships, would you say that like the modern media and what we're consuming as far as content goes kind of idolizes relationships in an like unattainable way, I'd say. Like you wrote a piece that I wanted to touch on about the, I think, nine expectations about relationships. Mm -hmm. And that kind of got me thinking about how, you know, in the books we read and the movies we watch and the shows we watch and the articles we read, there becomes this idea of what a relationship is or what we want our ideal relationship to be like. And I think sometimes that could be beneficial and sometimes that could be detrimental. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts from that side, you know, the production side of things when it comes to how relationships are portrayed in media. Yeah, so I think that the relationships, the majority of relationships portrayed in media, in the media are usually unhealthy. And it makes sense because, you know, seeing a like healthy, happy relationship is great in real life, I guess, but, you know, watching it in a 90-minute movie is just like, all right, nothing's happening. The tumultuous, like, crying in the rain, running to, like, see your lover at the airport, those kind of things make for a great movie because they invoke, they evoke those feelings, those intense feelings in us, which is what movies are meant to do. But in real life, what those if your relationship looked like that, it's actually really unhealthy. It's kind of living on those like highs and lows and not really realizing that there's like a happy medium that you can live in. Um, But like, yeah, crying all the time and being, feeling like you need to fight for someone really isn't what makes for a healthy relationship. And it kind of does when you watch it as a viewer, create like these unhealthy expectations of how love is supposed to function. Um, yeah, it's in, in media and books all the time. I realized recently I read a lot of romantic novels and it's like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I wish my boyfriend was so much more romantic like this. But it's like, of course this person's romantic. Like, or a, a girl thinks this person's romantic. It's written by a woman. It's meant to be bringing up these emotions. That's what the whole point of the book. So 
feel like it really does, like you said, like create unhealthy expectations. Right. Almost like if you're in that happy medium where things just feel normal, it's like, do we start to look specifically for something that's wrong? You know, do we nitpick at Mm -hmm. something or do we overdramatize something just to get to that, you know, like high feeling? Uh, I don't know, you know, and I I feel like that could be seen in other areas of life too, where we're just so used Mm -hmm. to living on this roller coaster of, you know, up and down and highs and lows that when we're in that normalcy and nothing's really changing, it can feel odd and uncomfortable. And I can imagine in a relationship, it could be something similar, you know, um, cause maybe some unnecessary issues because of those expectations. Right. I actually just wrote a piece. I think it was published yesterday and it was about, are you in love with suffering? And it's how it talks about how both love and emotional suffering can be as addictive as drugs and alcohol. And so when you mix the two together, the feeling of, oh, I think that my relationship is only passionate or I'm in love when, you know, we're fighting or there's tears or we have makeup sex is like, very um creates a very unhealthy sense to the relationship yeah like you said like so it's just some people are so addicted and in that cycle of like high low like suffering love that they don't even realize how much like problems it's causing for them would you have any advice you know on that idea of how to perhaps break that cycle or some questions, you know, someone could kind of ask themselves to even be aware of, is this something, you know, that I'm falling into the cycle of? Because I feel oftentimes with those addictive mindsets and cycles, it's hard to realize what's going on until someone points it out to you or until you start to break free of it. So if there's any way we could maybe raise some awareness for people if they're in this type of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing is becoming aware, like, you need to have enough self-awareness to say that, oh, I just picked a fight with my partner over something that really was nothing. Is it because I love the feeling of like arguing with him or, or she? Um, or is it because that I really had an issue going on? It's really hard, honestly, like anything, like any addiction, like I would say that if it's causing enough stress and or enough distress in your life, like you need to seek help because when it comes down to it, it's like breaking the addiction and uncovering how it even formed. Like a lot of people, it formed in the way that their parents treated them as a child. So now it, they feel like they need to have this tumultual relationship with love like they did with their parents. Um, but yeah, awareness, just like kind of being, noticing that you feel good after a fight or you feel good after you like make up from a fight will help you kind of lead you down the path of realizing that you're in this addiction of suffering in your love. Yeah. And perhaps even looking at how often, you know, someone expresses their emotions, because I feel as though sometimes when we don't allow ourselves to necessarily feel all those emotions or express them in a, you know, healthier, well-mannered way, sometimes then when we do allow ourselves those big releases, such as in an argument or, you know, yelling, screaming, throwing something, whatever it is, it can be cathartic because it's just built up inside of us. And it's a major release rather than a, you know, daily or other, other, every other day sort of 
more gentle, healthy release of emotions. I think that's something yeah. that is, you know, can kind of relate once more to all manners in life. Yes, definitely. I agree. Uh, and so then going back, I had mentioned your article on like the nine expectations with relationships. And I wanted to hit on that just a bit more, if you don't mind, because I think, you know, with everything in life, I've done a couple other recordings lately where we touch on this idea of expectations. And I've just really liked the theme and the message of it because it's popping up more and more in my own life and with others too. So could you just kind of break down, you know, what that article was about or what inspired you to create it? And let's just, you know, show people what these expectations can look like in a relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, I write all my articles from personal experience and I found that I myself had these unhealthy expectations in a partner that were causing a lot of problems. And so um, I just wanted to dive deeper into them and explain how mine and some others can really affect a relationship. Um, Yeah. So there was nine that I talked about. One of them is that you and your partner will always get along. So some people see like an argument or a fight as like the most detrimental thing to their relationship. And obviously studies have shown that arguing is healthier for a couple instead of a couple that never, a couple that never fights is more unhealthy than ones that do, because it's good to release that energy and that stress. And it's just bound to happen with two different individuals with two different ways of seeing the world and thinking and opinions. Another one is that you'll always be madly in love. People think that they'll always feel like this intense love for their partner. Obviously, it kind of comes from what we talked about before, like the movies and whatnot. But it's not a bad thing if you think your partner is annoying one day or you're mad at them or you look at them and you're like, ooh, do I love them? Like, it's normal. You're human. Life is long. Like, it's normal. You're not always going to be like madly in love with someone. Um, your part, and then another is your partner will help you love yourself. I true, I think a lot of people feel a lot of, very differently about this, but I personally think that you really need to foster happiness and love inside yourself outside of your partner. I think you can do it in a relationship. I think it's better not to do it in a relationship, but there, your happiness is so independent from your partner. Your partner should just be like the figurative icing on the cake to say. Um, because until you're happy with like who you are and your career and your passions, you're not going to be able to really enjoy a relationship to its fullest, your partner. And actually that kind of like hits on the next one, which is your partner bringing happiness, same type of thing. Um, your, your lives will always involve each other. It's actually healthier if you guys have lives outside of the relationship, seeing your friends doing like your individual hobbies, um, your lives will, oh, your partner will look a certain way. Personally, I think that the idea you have to be physically attractive to your partner, but personally, I think the idea of thinking that your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner, or whatever, will look a certain way, like have brown hair, be tall, or this or that, is kind of silly. Like you might be missing out on someone that can make you so happy. And it's studies have shown that once you really get to know someone, they look physically attractive, more attractive to you. I mean, given you think they're a good person, if you think they're an asshole, they'll actually look less attractive to you. <laughs> Um, and then your partner will meet your entire checklist. Honestly, like the human brain isn't able to fathom what will make you happy until you experience it. So having a checklist is a little bit 
of a lofty goal you can't really meet because you can't know what will make you happy until you really I mean having values and morals is definitely something to like stay firm on when you're going into a relationship but having certain checklists is not really um, realistic uh, your relationship will look like the ones on social media obviously people talk about that all the time and it is 100% true people put their best lives on their on social media obviously they do the same with relationships and then your partner won't ever hurt you unfortunately everyone at some point that's close to you will disappoint you or hurt you and it's not a bad thing you'll probably disappoint or hurt them at some point and the way that you move through it and work past it is what's going to determine the longevity of the relationship rather than the event happening in the first place so yeah that's like what the what the article is about and the night expectations um, obviously there's more, not everyone has, not everyone suffers from all of them, but they felt very important to talk about for me and with like with relationships. Yeah. And I think with a lot of those, they could carry over, not even from a romantic relationship, but even with, you know, friendships or family too. And especially that last one you were talking about, about how, you know, expecting this one person, this true love that you'll find will never hurt you. I just think you know, if you consider everyone else in your life, everyone has let us down or hurt us at some point in some way. And I think Mm -hmm. what's beautiful is that with those people that that happens and then you react and then you choose to move on, continue the relationship, whatever it is, that just goes to build an even stronger bond. So I think it is what you were saying about how it's like, don't expect that to never happen but just seeing how you react to it and how you move forward once it does happen is a true testament to the strength and, you know, just how like liable this relationship is for you, uh, especially like depending on, you know, how you react to each other and it can go both ways, I think, in that circumstance. Right, exactly. So then besides expectations, I was curious, you know, say someone is in a new relationship or things are just kind of starting out And there's just, you know, a lot up in the air. What are some maybe priorities that you would consider in a relationship? So, you know, not unrealistic, you know, kind of expectations, but things that we actually should perhaps be looking for, prioritizing, you know, if we want to have a healthy, stable, and just realistic relationship. Yeah. So I think it's kind of three things that I think are important. So you have to really, one is your self-identity. Um, you really have to stand firm in like who you are because a lot of people will think of love as something that they have to sacrifice themselves for. So I think it's really important to be like, this is who I am. Um, this is what I stand for. And if you like it, you do. If you don't, you don't. You're not the person for me if you don't. Um, because relationships dynamics are really set at the beginning of the relationship in the first couple of months. And if you're acting like someone you're not, it's going to make for a relationship that won't work in the future when you like reveal this true self of yours. Um, Another is your morals and values. I think that's like what you should always keep on a checklist. If you are adamant against drugs, I don't think that you should really falter on that decision and that and whether or not you want to be with someone that does drugs or not, because in the long run, that part of them is only going to be something that gets more and more is more and more of a problem for you uh anything uh, like religion or I don't know whatever it is for you you the morals and values can kind of help guide you to find someone that really 
is um, a great match for you. And those aren't like superficial or anything. It's like who you are. And then the last one, your sense of individuality outside of the relationship. So don't let yourself become consumed by a relationship. Still see your friends, still do things you love. Get to know your your partner's passions or the things that like you're the person you're dating is interested in. Like if they love to go to the movies, like go to the movies with them, but also do things that you love. If you love to paint, take them to a paint class. Like don't feel like you have to do only what they want. Like really stand firm in your identity and who you are and like what you love to do as well. Yeah. And when it comes to like the standing firm in your identity and just being, you, you know, uniquely you and independently you, does that relate, you know, it's a topic I haven't learned too much about, but like the attachment styles, I don't know if you could speak mm. on that some, because it's something I've seen, you know, popping up here and there. And I'm just, I totally agree with those top three priorities. And once more, those could relate to any relationship you have in life. But I'm just curious, you know, any work you've done with the attachment styles, because I do feel like those priorities could definitely relate to how you attach in a relationship. Yeah, so I've written a lot about attachment theory. I think it's very interesting. And for me, um, when I took a dating hiatus, I think it was really important to me to like understand how I functioned in relationships because personally, I have a very anxious attachment style. And so there's three. There's secure, anxious, and avoidant. Well, there's three main ones. There's like subcategories of them, but I just like to talk about the three. Um, and for anxious anxiously attached people they have they're the ones that have trouble really standing firm in who they are because they seek love they feel like like the process of love is seeking it rather than like it finding them or meeting it halfway um they are the ones that are more likely to give up their self-identity uh because they feel the need for like validation from their partner and the people that they're dating so they're the ones that would be like out of date worrying if like the person likes them rather than like the date ending and be like hmm did I like them are they cool were they the one that I would maybe want or they would be the type to go through dating and ignore red flags um, or not be able to draw firm boundaries uh that's something that yeah I've written a lot about because I did that a lot (laughs) yeah I find that so interesting and as you were speaking that yourself I could definitely relate and for me, I think I've definitely seen it a lot in friendships too, that anxious kind of mindset. And mm-hmm. when, when you said that idea of not even questioning, how do I feel about this person, but how do they feel about me? That is me to a T. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, it's just funny sometimes when you spend so much time thinking about what others, you know, did, did they like me? Was I okay? And then at the end of the day, it's like, do I even actually care? You know, like, how did I think about them? Is this even worth pursuing in a friendship or relationship? Uh, So I think that is so interesting. And uh, there could be, you know, lots to uncover there. Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so then overall with your writing and just expertise in this field, are there any other common struggles that you see relationships going to? Or, you know, maybe they're the articles that people just really seem to relate to when you do write them? Well, most of my, it's actually interesting. Most of my articles, people really relate to and want to talk about the ones that are about finding love. I've found that that's, I guess, you know, everyone wants love. And that's like, it's crazy how, I mean, it's not crazy. It makes sense. Like love is addicting. And I guess once you take a hit of it, you want more, of course. But it's it's also sad because, you know, everyone wants love and it causes some people so much distress to find it. 
Um, but yeah, those are the ones that usually do the best. And I actually, I also found that for when it comes to couples, a lot of couples have trouble with communication. So any article that I write about communication, people are always like, oh, that's so interesting. I haven't thought about it that way. I want to try this out with my partner or I did try this out with my partner and it worked great. And I'm, I think it's really interesting that we're taught about a lot of things growing up, even down to like sex and whatnot, but we're not taught how to be better in relationships. And I don't think it's something that comes naturally. It's something we have to learn. So kind of filling that gap is like what I really hope to do with my writing. But yeah, until someone like reads about something like relationship wise, we aren't really taught any of it. So I found that like people just really gravitate towards any um, information, especially anything that's like psychology based. But communication is a big thing. Couples have a, a very hard time communicating, especially once they've been in a relationship for a long time. It's kind of hard to switch that dynamic. I mean, as with everything, no one can fix everything for us. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to us, you know, doing the work and fixing the issue. So that's what's great. That's how I feel about this podcast. And I'm sure you feel about your writing is that it's that bridge between not even, you know, contemplating it. And then we can kind of bring that awareness to people and we don't have the final answers. We don't have the diagnosis or whatever it is, but we can bring awareness and tips and trips, tricks and advice to people so that they can like do some of that work on their own. And, um, you know, as you mentioned with the communication, that is a big one. Uh, no one can just fix the communication in your life or in your relationship, but there are things you can do to help. So what are some, you know, tips that you give people or advice you've written about whether that's understanding what healthy communication looks like or how to improve existing communication to get to that, you know, a little bit better, maybe healthier state. Yeah. I think one big thing of like just understanding how healthy communication really functions between couples is switching from thinking like me, what's my goal for this? What do I want? Like I want to be happy to we, like we are a team we are a cohesive unit, the relationship and coming to a compromise and coming to meet in the middle is more important than I won this argument and now my partner's upset and now it's probably going to cause some more problems in the future. So switching from the mindset of like me to we is a really big one. There's little things you can do. I found that the biggest thing is saying like if you're in an argument or you got your partner did something that upset you, say they Um, they sided with their mom at Thanksgiving rather than like kind of supporting you on something instead of being like you always are with you're always agreeing with your mom you're always never supporting me being like switching it to these I feel statements so I feel unsupported when you side with your mom and you don't support me I feel hurt when you forget about me in conversations I feel like you don't admire or you don't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't admire, it's not the word, but close to it. You don't admire my opinion. You don't value my opinion because no one can negate how you feel. If someone made you feel a certain way, that's literally a truth rather than an opinion of you always side with your mom. Like saying that you feel a certain way is just the truth and there's no way around that. So it's, an easier solution to fix rather than blaming someone or attacking them. 
that's like my number one thing is like these I feel statements are just like great (laughs) yeah fire I mean if you think about it everyone when someone blames you our natural response is uh no Mm -hmm. even sometimes if we know it's true or partially true I think the instinctual answer or reply is no or a way to defend ourselves it just comes naturally kind of like that fight or flight instinct and exactly yes and like you said when you say an I feel statement I mean what's your partner going to say like no you you don't feel uh that like it just doesn't make sense exactly it doesn't you know it kind of makes them pause even and think like wait I can't just say no I have to actually you know acknowledge the fact that they're saying I feel whatever this is uh so I think that is super powerful and then in that that idea of you know we versus me because taking it from just you know everything's on everything me or taking it from everything blaming on you like switching those mm-hmm. words to we and i so yeah very helpful exactly. um i think that's something i even need to i think you know with family structure even that i feel statement around mm-hmm. the thanksgiving dinner table too <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, well, where can people find you and your writing and just, you know, kind of learn more about you and also just pick up on all your amazing articles because I, I truly love reading them. It's refreshing, I think, in this, you know, idealistic relationship world that we oftentimes get portrayed to us. So the best way to find me is probably through my newsletter because I also, at the end of all my newsletters, write um, the articles that I've recently posted. So it's just an easier way to find them all. And that is Kirsty Taylor, K-I-R-S-T-I-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R dot substack, which is S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Um, or you can just Google Kirsty Taylor. That also works. All my writing comes up. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram, which is at Words with Kirsty. Easy enough. Uh, yeah, those are kind of the three ways that are easy. Lots of threes in this episode. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. There's the magic number. (laughs) I'm pretty sure there's literally some psychology out there that's like putting, putting, it's either like three or seven. That number does so well with writing and giving advice and like uh, article titles and stuff. Three and seven. I mean, it makes sense because it, there are something about like those odd numbers. They just catch the eye more than the typical. I mean, you wouldn't do like one, obviously doesn't make sense. And Five is like too normal, 10's a little bit too long, so three or seven. (laughs) Exactly. So what did you think? I know not the typical health and wellness per se episode, but as I explained in the beginning, I think relationships do play a core part in our happiness, our well-being, and just life in general. So if you liked it, if something resonated, let us know. Kirsty is on Instagram at wordswithkirsty. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels or at Let's Thrive Podcast. We would love to connect, hear your thoughts, and remember to share this episode with friends, family, anyone you meet. (laughs) I'd really appreciate it. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.